uh, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue our In Christ series here today. So, okay, you guys are the morning people. Did you see Midnight last night? Did anybody see Midnight last night? Just, just a couple, just a couple, yeah. Uh, that's what I kind of figured. That's what I, kinda, I did see it, so if I, if I drift off to sleep, you'll know, you'll know why. Uh, by the way, the Alive conference, the student conference that we went to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Man, it was it was a it was a wonderful time. We uh, we have a wonderful group of kids, and uh, man, they it's so refreshing to be around them when they get excited about Jesus and, and worshiping His name and uh, just get focused in on, on His Word. It's uh, it's a great time. Brother Kevin is doing a, a wonderful job uh, back there with the students, and we had a, a, Eric was was there. Um, and I think that's all that's here this morning. So, wow, Eric, that's good, man. You're here at the early service today, and you were there. So, uh, so back to uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, last time we were here, if you recall, it's been over a month ago, but we saw that it really does matter what we believe. Remember, we have all this doctrine uh, in, 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 chapter, in the first three chapters of who we are in Christ. And if you, if you recall, uh, we were dead. Because of our sinful actions, because of our sinful condition, and we were further, further alienated from God because of our ethnicity as Gentiles. But God, chapter 2 says, because of His great love, because of His great power, He has made us alive in Christ, and He has reconciled us back to Him. This is what we believe, and it is important because what we believe affects how we walk. The theme has been to walk in unity. Chapter 4 began to explain what that looks like. Notice what it says. I therefore, chapter 4 verses one, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we looked at last time the grace of unity that displays itself in in many different virtues and fruits of the Spirit. They require ongoing work and intentionality, but they display the love of Christ when we possess them and show them to others. We talked about the common ground of unity, summed up in the word one. Look at verse 4 there in chapter 4. There is one body and one Spirit Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the one body is the church. The one spirit is the Holy Spirit. There is one hope of our calling. There is one Lord. His name is Jesus. There is one faith and one baptism, one God and Father who has adopted us into his family. And so because we are in the same family, we can walk in unity. Uh, Next, God's Word talked about the gifts of unity that He has given His churches. Spiritual gifts that every one of us have as we fulfill the roles that God has for us. So when we display the grace of unity and stand on the common ground of unity and use the gifts that He's given us for unity, then we begin to grow in unity. The church Grows. The church is built up. Stability grows. We, we speak the truth in love and we grow deeper and deeper in the knowledge of the Word of God. 
The description of our walk continues in chapter 4, verses 17 and following. And we see in these, chap- in these verses that believers are different. If you are able to stand out of respect for the Word of God, please do so as we read Ephesians four seventeen through 24. And I'm about to sneeze, so forgive me. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So verse 17 right there, it says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So Gentiles here, it refers to unbelievers. So we are called as believers to not walk like unbelievers because the first blank on your outline, believers are different. Believers are different. So you can go ahead and and tell your neighbor, you know, I've always thought that about you. You're quite different. Yeah. Some of you have been wanting to say that for a while. Um, in, in what ways are we called to be different? Well, here in the scripture, it's outlined. First of all, in our thinking, in our thinking, there is emphasis on our minds or thinking in these verses. Believers think differently. Look at the scripture there, verse 17 and verses 23. It talks about the mind. Verse 18, it mentions understanding and ignorance. Verse 20, it speaks of how we learned Christ. And so there is an important emphasis on our thoughts because believers think differently. So when we learn Christ, when our hearts are truly connected with who He is and what He's done, what He promises to do, our entire outlook changes, our values change, our goals change, and that begins with how we think. In the past, we've explained it as head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Believers think differently because we think with our hearts, and our hearts belong to Jesus. Notice verse 21. It says, the truth is in Jesus. Now, the, the observation has been made. That whenever Paul uses the name Jesus instead of Jesus Christ, most of the time he's referring to the story of Jesus on earth. We've been, we've been looking at the last month, God's one and only son, born, born to a virgin in Bethlehem. He lived in Nazareth. He was a carpenter. He was hated by the religious leaders, and so they killed him. But then he defeated death and rose again, and now he sits at the right hand of God. The earthly story of Jesus. See, we have to learn it deep down to where it affects our hearts and not just learn about it. 
The Spirit of God uses the story of Jesus to change our lives. And so what we see is learning about Christ is different than learning Christ. We can learn about Him and not know Him. We learn about dead people in books, but we do not know them. But because Jesus is alive, it's different. We don't just learn about Him, we learn Him. So hopefully you can see there is a definite distinction. We are different in our thinking, and this starts with learning Jesus. Believers are different in our thinking, and this starts with learning Jesus. So, because of Christ, being in Christ, now we're different. It means we walk differently, which means we we don't think like we used to. And so let me ask you this. How is your thought life? How's your thought life? I know it's early for a deep question like this, but how's your thought life? Because thoughts are kind of interesting, because no one knows what they are. I can look completely holy on the outside, but my thoughts be completely ungodly, and nobody else would know. And and as people, we've gotten pretty good at, at covering those up. No one else knows except God, but His Word is telling us it doesn't work that way. When God changes us, He changes all of us. And that change begins on the inside and affects the outside. It's not the other way around. We don't clean ourselves up on the outside and all of a sudden our hearts are changed. People can change what's on the outside, but only God can change what's on the inside. And He looks at the heart, not on the outward appearance. So how is your thought life? Do you worry too much? Do you have impure thoughts? Do you think about someone else's spouse more than you think of yours? Are your thoughts overrun by greed? Is money all you ever think about? Maybe your your thoughts are consumed with you or how you can get even with someone or how you can get ahead. Maybe how you can get away with something. These all describe the thoughts of the Gentiles, the unsaved, but as God's people, we think differently. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transformed. Renew your mind with the word of God. Here in Ephesians 4, put off the old, verse 22 says. Verse 23 says, put on the new Don't think like you used to and don't act like you used to. Number two, believers are different in our actions. We're different in the way we act. In these verses today, God lists over a dozen characteristics that should be present, excuse me, should not be present in a believer's life. And of course, as we might guess, it's consistent with the entire word of God. Matthew 7, Jesus told us, you will know a a tree by its fruit. In James 3, 10 through 12, the context is the tongue and our words, but it applies to everything else. Just like a fresh spring doesn't produce bitter water and a fig tree doesn't produce olives, neither should one who has been transformed by the blood of the Lamb be doing these dozen or so things listed here in Ephesians. Uh, Real quickly, turn over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. 
Uh, This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. We know a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But in this context, Peter asked Jesus, okay, how often should I forgive someone? And he probably felt pretty good about himself when he said, uh, he threw out the number seven, it is the number of completeness. He probably thought Jesus was going to commend him for saying that. But look what he says in Matthew 18, 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now what we need to know is 10,000 talents was equivalent to about 190,000 days wages or 520 years. So um, this debt was completely impossible to pay. Verse 25. But as he was not able to pay this, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. So the servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. The master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, so it took six thousand denarii to equal one talent and so this was worth about seventy dollars so the first first servant's debt was equal to 60 million compared to seventy dollars so the the one who owed 60 million he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying pay me what you owe so his fellow servants fell down at his feet. His fellow servant fell down and, and fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. <laughs> and he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had, what he had been done, they were very grieved, came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, just imagine that you stood in the crowd here as as Jesus was was telling this parable. And and this guy that was forgiven $60 million debt, he was going after a guy who owed him $70. I wonder if anybody in the the crowd just kind of started rolling their eyes at this story. Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. Someone who owes an immeasurable debt is not just going to not forgive someone who and demand a small debt from someone else. And maybe that's the point. Because neither will a true child of God not forgive in this context here. And in the context of Ephesians, neither will a true child of God just live blatantly in these things listed in Ephesians 4. Verse 19 says lewdness. It's a word we don't use a lot. But it's unbridled lust. Unbridled lust. So we don't use that word a lot, 
But we see it a lot in our culture. And don't we know that that starts in our minds? In verse 19, it's uncleanness and greed. Verse 25 is lying. Verse 26, sinful anger. Verse 28, it's stealing. Verse 29, it's using our words for evil. Verse 31, it's bitterness and clamor. Clamor is uh, forcing an opinion on someone. So this is a list of the things that our flesh loves. And don't we know that we can add to this list? It goes on and on and on. It's a list of things that you and I must battle daily because as believers, we are different. James 1.21, therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Notice that word overflow in James 1.21. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Overflow here, it means residue. And so think of it when when you take a piece of duct tape and you tape something, but then you remove the tape, there is a residue, a sticky residue left behind. And so that residue is a a picture of, of the wickedness remaining in a Christian's life from his prior state of conversion. It is the flesh that we still battle. It's, it's the residue that loves this list of sins here in Ephesians 4. And just like you can get products to take off the residue from duct tape, the only product that beats the residue of the old life is the Word of God. So what we see is that James is telling us the same thing that Ephesians does. Lay aside the residue. Put off the old man. You don't belong in the grave anymore. Put on the new because Jesus has made you new. And one of these days, he will completely clean up the residue. But until then, we have to fight these spiritual battles with the spiritual weapons that we've been given. Lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Have you implanted the word of God in your life? Because right there it says it's able to save your souls. Jesus told us that God's word is truth in John 17, 17. Romans 12 tells us to renew our minds. Do you implant the word of God in your life? Because there are a lot of things... That we put a whole lot more stock in that are not true, more, more stock than we'd put in the, in the Word of God. And maybe you're here today and you would say, well, you know what, I, I've already studied it. I, I know what it says, I know how it's supposed to apply to my life, so I really don't need to study it anymore. And to you I would say this, I have come to know that God's Word speaks differently to my heart in different stages of life. Its truth doesn't change, but as my life changes, God's truth applies to me differently. And, and so that's why I can read his word a hundred times, but on the hundred and first time, it speaks something completely different on a deeper level than it ever has before. This is part of how the Bible is living and active. And so let us never just believe that we have got it all figured out. We must continually be students of the word of God, no matter how many times We've read it. And planting it into our hearts. This is where thinking differently starts. 
And that's where a lot of people who claim to be Christians have failed. That's why we have so many people who have known Jesus for years but have not really come to spiritual maturity. Hosea 6.4, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's knowledge of the Word of God. And as our minds understand His Word more and more, they're transformed. And so what is God calling you to do with His Word? I mean, January 1st, 2023, it's a good day to resolve in your heart and mind to make some changes, to, to, to get into the Word of God and allow it to change your life. Believers think differently. Believers act differently. Let's continue in verse 25, Ephesians 4. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, believers' lives are different. Notice the contrast to some of these sins that we listed earlier. In verse 25, instead of lying, speak truth. The lies versus the truth. Now we already know where the truth is found. It's in the Word of God. It's in Jesus Christ. When we implant the Word of God in our lives, His truth begins to transform us. And it, it, it transforms what comes out of our mouths. Instead of sinful anger, verses 26 and 27, be angry and don't sin. Now there is such a thing as righteous anger. We see that Jesus had it when he overturned the the tables. God has it. It's right to be angry at injustice and ungodliness. But I think we are often quick, uh, anytime we get angry, to call it righteous anger. When many times it's not. See, God sees much clearer than I do. And most of my anger is because something doesn't go my way. And if it's all about me, then that is sinful anger. But don't miss that this kind of anger, sinful anger, it gives place to the devil. That, that phrase, giving place to the devil, it has, has a couple of different meanings. It refers to, to marking off an area, like a like police line, like caution tape. Do not cross. And so my anger that is all about me, it marks off a place for the devil. It's a place where, where selfishness and pride live. It's, a spir- it's, it's essentially like spiritual caution tape. When we tell Jesus, listen Jesus, this part of my life is off limits to you. Do not cross because I'm going to harbor pride and selfishness right here. Jesus, you just stay away. And when we do that, it marks off a place for the devil. Here, Satan, come on, come right on in. The, the phrase also means giving him opportunity or occasion for acting. So it, our sinful anger that's all about me, it gives the devil opportunity to act. Essentially saying, 
here, Satan, here's a platform. My life is a platform for you to do whatever you want to do. That's, that's what that, those phrases, that, that phrase mean. But God is telling us, as believers, it doesn't work that way. Because people act differently. And even in that, when we do get angry, when we do sin, we don't allow it to build up. We take care of it quickly before the sun goes down. Because if we don't, Satan will use the smallest spark of anger in our hearts to add fuel to the fire until it completely consumes us. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Notice the contrast. Rather than stealing, in verse 28, a person should work. Even stronger language is used in in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. So rather than stealing, a person should work. Think about thieves in the Word of God. John 10.10 tells us that Satan is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 12.6, we see that Judas was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and he helped himself whenever he wanted to. Back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they took something that did not belong to them. So when we steal, we are identifying with these people, these characters in the Word of God. But God's people are different. He wants us to work so that we can help those in need. Stealing hurts people. Working helps. So if you're here today... And, and you would be described as a thief. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross. Because his heart changed. He's in paradise even now, today. Believers are different in thought, in action, and number three, in speech. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. God's Word has much to say about speech. James 3.2 For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. So what that tells us, if we can control our mouths, then we can control anything else, because our mouths are indicators of our hearts. Jesus said this in Luke 6.45, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if if God has our hearts, then through His Spirit, we can live with self-control, with our tongues, and the rest of our bodies. James goes on to talk about the power of our tongues. Uh, He compares it to a horse, a, a, a bit in a horse's mouth, or a rudder on a ship, a spark. And if our tongues are not controlled, destructive power can be unleashed. As God's people, under control of His Spirit... We think differently, we act differently, we talk differently. And we use our words to build up and to impart grace. Uh, Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think we grieve the Spirit when we act like we don't have the Spirit. And, And don't we all know Don't I know that I'm more than capable of doing that? When when we're not different from the rest of the world, and if we can continually live in that place, we need to do a serious heart check. 
make sure that we really surrendered our hearts to Jesus when we said he did, when we said we did. A serious heart check. I wonder, what would the people that we live with say about us? What would they say? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, believers are different. It starts with the way we think. As we go into a time of invitation, how's your thought life? Our thoughts lead to the way we act. When we think and act the way God's people should, then the gospel begins to become attractive because the gospel makes us different. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes as we give, give God an opportunity to work in our hearts? What has God said to you today? What are you going to do about it?